Hey guys, I'm Ash, and I kind of feel the need to say that I'm not actually like that. <laughs> um, but we're going to read the Bible today, so if you'd like to get out your Bibles, and if you don't have one, just pop up your hand and um, someone will come around and give you one. Awesome. We're reading from Colossians chapter 1 today. And we'll be starting at verse 24. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. If you want to uh, take out... Uh, your outlines, if you don't have one there, it'd be great to point to get one. We really want to encourage people at UniChurch to keep thinking through uh, what God is saying to them. Um, it's our practice here to kind of work through just part of the text, part of what God is saying to us. And we've been working through this book of Colossians uh, for the past few weeks before we kind of started publicly, the, the kind of core team were thinking through it. And then this week we've, and last week we're just continuing through to hear what Paul has to say about being captivated by Jesus. So why don't I pray right now that God, by His Spirit, would show us what He has to say. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that as we have just heard Your Word read, that Your Spirit would convict us of its truth, that You'd lift our eyes and our minds to see the world as You see them. We pray this in Your Son's name. Amen. Well, tonight I, I want to deal with uh, a bit of this passage here in, in Colossians 1 and 2. It, it, and it's a bit of a stretch. I want to take you into the very plans and purposes of God. Paul shows us here that the events that are kind of happening in our world and that have been happening throughout history, of which we at, at Uni Church here are just a small part, are actually about something greater. That there's something going on, there's something God is doing. And he's captured us up in it. And it's my hope that as we come out of this kind of section today, it's kind of a bit of hard work in the middle, but as we come out of this, that we would see things as God sees them. 
Well, as we think through what we're doing here at UniChurch, I'm constantly aware of the issue of relevance. Whenever we come to the Bible, the question that we kind of naturally ask is, well, what's it saying to me? How relevant is this to me? How will it help me in my current circumstances and situation? Will the preaching on Sunday do that? Now, I've got to say, preaching ought to always do that. It ought to always help people, right? If it's speaking a word from God, if it's showing what God has said through His Word, what ought to actually deal with us and touch us and impact us and change us and the way we view the world around us. But the very thing I want to take you through tonight has relevance far deeper than how does it just impact me right here, right now. Far more profound, I want to say, than what's immediately obvious. In fact, the relevance I want to talk to you about tonight and the relevance of this passage is that it will change the whole way you think about relevance. I want to turn this whole thing of relevance on its head and wrestle with this part of Colossians as we understand what God is doing and what is relevant to us. So firstly, as we think through what we're about as a church, the question is, what is Paul about? What's he on about? We get to this section here and there's kind of a pretty clear aim as we think through what we're about as a church. Paul says in 128, we proclaim Him, Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we might present everyone perfect in Christ. Paul is deeply concerned to present you perfect in Christ. He, He wants to see us presented mature. Everyone presented mature. That's what perfect means, right? It it doesn't mean sinless. It means to be presented to the full of what God intends for you, that you might become mature. That's what Paul was on about, and that's what he does. Have a look at verse 29. To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Right Here is this picture of what the great apostle was on about. He's giving himself to people that they might be matured and come to perfection. And as we we see this part of the Bible, we can see the relevance for us straight away, right? God's word matures us. It presents us in Christ. It shows us the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done. And I want to say, don't settle for half-hearted Christianity. Don't think that just because you've come to Christ, that you've embraced the truth about Jesus, that you've arrived. That you can kind of sit back now, that you've crossed the line, you've gone from hell to heaven. I'm in. It's all done. Nothing else to see. I'll just kind of drift around. Uh, At EV, uh, across the whole church, we talk about um, what church is like. And we want church, well, we think there's actually two views of church. There's this view of church that says, um, church is kind of like a cruise ship. It's comfy. You know, you can sit back and you're on a journey. It'll get you to your destination. You come to church, you become a Christian, you drink a pina colada, your sins are forgiven. And you know what? In just 14 days time, you will arrive in Tahiti. It'll be awesome, right? That's often sometimes the view that we kind of hear about what church is. But that's not Paul's take. Paul's take is more like a battleship than a cruise ship. He's like, we're at war. 
What we're doing here is to see people stand on that last day because Satan is roaring around like a lion, trying to take people out, trying to take pot shots at you. As you've come to university, that's his aim, is that he will say to you, if you're at uni, you don't need this Jesus stuff. Well, you're in, it's fine. Sit back, put your feet up, have a drink. Tahiti's coming. You know, switch on autopilot and see how that goes for you. Don't know how good a joke that is at the moment. Now, Paul has a deep concern for you. Not only that you would come to Christ, but that you'd deepen, you'd mature, you'd grow into all that God intends for you and I to be, that there's something for you that you ought to be restless for, discontent in. See, church ought to be a place full of contented, discontent people. I know, I know it's a bit weird, but we ought to be a people that actually live knowing that we need to grow more. We're happy with the idea that we need to keep growing. We need to spend our life unearthing, un, kind of un, un, unraveling what God has said to us in His Word and meeting up close and personal this person, Jesus. It's the normal Christian life. And so what the Bible keeps wanting to do is kind of urge you on. Just a light a fire under you and let that fire go to say, grow, grow, grow. It wants to kind of show you that realization. Whoa, I didn't realize how far I've got to go. I didn't realize what I didn't know and how much of God there still is to explore. That's what we want to happen for you at Uni Church. It's what I want to happen for me at Uni Church. As we open God's Word, as we see what He has to say, that we'd be captivated, that we'd want to know Him more, we'd want to drink more deeply. And that's what Paul labored for. That's what we labor for, isn't it? We labor for ourselves to know God more, for our friends to see Him for who He really is, for people on this campus to come to know Jesus and become mature. That part of this kind of section of the letter of Colossians, it's pretty easy to see the relevance for, right? Kind of shows us straight in what we're here for. But then we kind of hit this section that's actually quite strange. We're kind of going to spend the rest of tonight thinking through this strange section. Like, have a look at verse 26. It talks about a mystery that's been kept hidden for centuries, for generations. In verse 27, it talks about the Gentiles. Like, who are the Gentiles and what have they got to do with me, right? I'm sure all of you thought today as you got out of bed this morning or whenever it was and you kind of came along here to Uni Church, you thought, you know, the thing I need to know today is about this mystery about the Gentiles, right? Everyone's thinking that, weren't you? I mean, I was. And then we get to the, what I think is kind of the, the most bizarre bit. Come back in your Bibles to verse 24. It's on the screen as well. Paul says this, and and, and look carefully. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. I'm like, Paul, were you here last week? 
Did, did, did you not see what you wrote when you said that Jesus is everything? He's far more superior than anything else. He's the power above powers. He is the one. He is God in the flesh. He's got, he, he's got it all. And now you're saying, in this kind of next section, that there's something lacking. What is lacking in Christ's afflictions? And how is it that Paul can fill it up? Like, what's going on here? I hope you notice that it's odd. Do, do you find that odd? Do you kind of, when you're reading through, you go, what, 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 is, what is this? So when you come to an odd part or an odd verse in the Bible, it's actually exciting. It's the way God takes our view of Him and changes. See, see if we see something in the Bible as odd, then we don't really align with what God thinks. We haven't really seen the world in the way that God sees the world. And so it's really a wonderful gift from God when we don't get it. When you go, huh? It's actually God maturing us, perfecting us, helping us to grow, to get the God who made the world. So be glad when you come across verses you don't get. Um, Here's a place where you can actually get your mind locked in, kind of in mesh. To God's mind. So let me start by saying what this section doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that there's something lacking in the work of Christ to save you. That's what it doesn't mean. There is not anything lacking in Jesus to save us. Now we should go, how do you know that? It's great you're telling me, but it doesn't look like it says that. Well, how do we know that's the case? Because of what the rest of the Bible says. Do you remember Jesus on the cross in in John's Gospel? When he's pinned to that cross, his last words, when he's crying out, it is finished. It's finished. The work that God sent me to do is now accomplished. I've done it. It's over. The price has been paid. The thing that's necessary for humanity to be brought back into relationship with God is done. It's it's achieved. It's over. You see, the rest of the Bible has this picture that it's done. Now, it's important to notice that that's actually what Paul says as well. If you remember back to last week or verse 21, have a look. Um, Paul says, you were once alienated from God, but now, and look at the tense of the verbs, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through, the, through death to present you holy in his sight. Even Paul thinks it's done. I have been reconciled. Jesus has done it. The death of Christ, his, his work on, on your behalf has been accomplished. All that needs to be done has been done to make you and me, who are sinners, who are alienated from God, to be seen as holy, without blemish, without blame and free from accusation. That's the work of Jesus. And His death, in His death, He's finished it. It's a core concept of the Scriptures. There's nothing you need to add to with Jesus. And if anyone ever wants to add to Him, there's an issue. If you trust Jesus, if you've given Him your life, you are reconciled to Him. There is a condition, verse 23. uh, If you remember when we looked through it last week, Paul says, if you continue in your faith. See, the way that the benefits of Jesus are applied to us, the way that we, we can stand in God's presence, 
without being completely demolished by His consuming fire? The way we can do that is because we've trusted in Him. The way those benefits come to us is through faith. It's kind of like being in a bushfire. Right? Just imagine this room is kind of, we're all here together and there's a massive fire kind of coming through. And we're stuck. We're stuffed. We're going to be crisp, right? We're alienated from the goodness that is life because this fire is consuming us. But then this fire dude with a red cap and an awesome yellow jacket comes running in. He says, I'm going to build you a safe haven. I'm going to make you a place where if you go in it and you stay there, that the fire will pass through and you will stay sweet. And that's what Jesus has done. He's built a safe haven where the judgment of God doesn't touch because it's already been consumed by Jesus. And as the fire bears down on you, every bone in your body is screaming, run, right? Don't stay in the way of the fire, run. You can do it, you can do it. But you need to trust the fire, dude. You need to trust that Jesus has faced the penalty for you. Stay and you're safe. Trust Jesus and you're safe. Walk outside the house and live for yourself and face the fire of God. That's the warning, right? It is conditional, but it's nothing that you need to do. Just trust, stay, depend, remain. You don't need to do anything extra. This Colossian church that's, that Paul's writing to, they kind of get sucked into all kinds of myths. It's kind of what they're like, new kind of spiritualities, new religious observances. Someone comes along and says, you know what you need? You need an indulgence. And so they're like, oh yeah, I need an indulgence. And they go kind of, I need this extra stuff. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. Have you seen Jesus? It's done. Do you trust him? Stay there. When someone wants to give you more, you don't need it. In fact, any more is to say that you need more than what he's provided. And that is to deny him and walk outside the house. Paul's saying that Christ has reconciled you and you're safe in Him. Stay there, firm and fixed. So what could Paul possibly say was lacking? Like, what did he think he could fill up that Jesus couldn't? Well, friends, the answer to that needs a bit of a journey. A bit of a journey into the great story of God's work in our world. And I want to take you on some of that journey tonight. So hang in there as we kind of look through some different verses and I kind of show you some different parts from Scripture. But I want to take us back to the beginning, to Genesis. If you're a quick flipper, you can kind of go there. But basically, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. It's what they call one of the foundation passages in the Bible. It kind of sets the theme for what God's doing in the world. Starts off early on, Adam and Eve destroy the world through their sin, through their rebellion against God. And then flows on to their families, into the wider community, until the Tower of Babel. The whole world's corrupt. That's Genesis 11. Now, Genesis 12, God announces the rescue plan. He'd hinted at it earlier. But Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3, he says, I'm actually going to bring in one man, Abraham. Abram at the time. And I'm going to create a nation out of him, a people. And I'm going to call them Israel. And this nation, they're going to be a blessing. I'm going to bring salvation and joy and blessing to them. And through this family, 
I'm going to bring salvation to the rest of the world, to all nations, to reverse what Adam did, to undo the great sin. Now, throughout the Old Testament, you get this theme of Genesis 12 repeated and repeated and repeated. God is going to save. He's going to save Israel. Then there's these little snippets that keep coming up. They keep mentioning that salvation is going to break forth into the rest of the world, into the non-Jewish part, the non-Israel part. You realize that Jew and Gentile really are the only two categories that the Bible gives us for nationalities. It's like you're either a Jew or you're not. You're either part of God's family or you're not part of God's family. You're either Jew or you're Gentile. And if you weren't a Jew, you were a Gentile. It's the only way they thought. It's the two groups of people, if you're a Jew. God is going to save the Jews and then He's going to break out to save the Gentiles. And you get this picture in Isaiah 49, verse 6. It's on the screen if you want to look or you write it down. You get this picture that God isn't just satisfied with some being saved. He says, It's too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I've kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. God has a bigger plan than just the Jews. The God of the Bible is a big God. He's not just some tribal deity some kind of small-minded being that can only handle one kind of ethnic race. He's the God of humanity. (laughs) And His intention is to save humanity, all nations. Then we kind of fast forward. Uh, We're going through a quick spin throughout the Bible. We come to Jesus. Where did Jesus come from? Israel. He was a descendant of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, of David, the kind of line that all this went through, the tribe of, of Judah. He's a Jew, And we said that all the hopes of these Old Testament expectations are kind of focused in on Him. If you've read much of Luke, we've been going through that in in our morning church, you remember the prophecies about Jesus' birth. Simeon was there. And the temple, the place that God was supposed to dwell, and he, he meets Jesus, he takes the child as a newborn infant, and he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you can now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You're like, okay. And then it goes bigger. Which you've prepared in the sight of all people, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. And there it is again. There's this hope that God would save not just Jews, but everyone. That God's purposes are saving Jew and Gentile. But then as we kind of look at Jesus, there's this oddity. As Jesus grows up, he focuses his ministry on the Jews. It's like he's missed the memo or the mission statement, whatever it is. Have a look with me at Matthew chapter 10, verse 5. It's on the screen or you can flick it up in your Bible. But um, the context is Jesus is sending out the 12 as kind of missionaries to take this news out. Have a look, 10 verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles... Or enter any town of the Sumerians. Rather, go to the lost sheep of Israel. You're like, okay, we knew that that God was for Israel primarily, first and foremost. It would always be through Israel who would save, but don't go to the Gentiles? Maybe, Maybe it was a misquote. Maybe he didn't get it. 
But then he says it again in 15. 15 verse 24. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, if you have ears to hear, you'll start seeing something. What about the prophecies in the Old Testament? What about the Gentiles? What about the prophecies of Simeon at his birth, that he's actually going to be for Jew and Gentile? Isn't it odd that Jesus is saying, I'm only coming for the Israelites? Well, when the Gentiles finally come in, the Old Testament picture the Old Testament people, the Jews, they kind of figured that if this was going to happen, the Gentiles would come and become Jews. The Jewish nation would continue. That was the kind of expectation. It always been Jews. It always would be Jews. And everyone else can come and join us. But what we actually see is that the New Testament treats everyone differently. That when the Gentiles come in, they do it in a very different way. They actually not only leave their pagan past and come into Christ... But the Jews leave their Jewish religion and and do the same. The Jews have to leave their past and come to Christ as well. They have to recognize this Messiah, that He's done it all. That Everything they were trying to do, they can't do, but Jesus did. And now they need to think in a new way about everything. And that's the message that's preached in the New Testament. right? uh, It's not Gentiles come and be Jews... Come to the temple under Moses' law. That's not the message. The message is Jew. If you want to be saved, Gentile, if you want to be saved, you both have got to do the same thing. Leave your past and come to this whole new thing called Jesus. Look with me at Ephesians, another part of Paul's writings. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2. Paul says, it's on the screen, Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. Now, when we read this, we see this same word mystery again, with a little more detail a bit further on. Now, thinking about the word mystery, right? There, there are kind of two ways you can take the word mystery. One view is kind of viewing it as something that's mysterious, something that you just can't really know, that we don't know how it happens. It's like David Copperfield, right? How, do, how does that go on? It's strange. I can't get access to what happens. It's, it's like, well, I think it's like women, right? I just don't get it. There's something going on there in your world that's just, I, just, I don't understand. Sarah, my wife, tells me I'll never understand. It's, it's, it's just some things that are unfathomable, right? You just can't understand what's going on and why and, and how. And It's a mystery. And I mean that in a nice way, right? I'm, I'm not hassling women by any stretch. Um, that's the way it's meant to be. It's for our joy. So us guys can stand back and go, I have no idea, but I love her. <laughs> right? That's another tip for guys, I'll say. You can't work it out. So if you're ever trying to work out why, don't. don't. You can ask, but it's not worth trying to work out. It's unknowable. That's one view of mystery. Yeah, there's another way to use the word mystery. It's kind of like a, a murder mystery. If you're into reading, into novels, I'm not, but I've heard they end this way, right? That if you're reading a murder mystery, it's kind of like a whodunit, and, and you want to find out what, what's going on. And the mystery is only a murder mystery until the last page. And the last page, it becomes a murder because the mystery's been solved. You understand how it happened, if it's a good one. If it's a bad one, you don't know, and it's stupid, and you've wasted however many hours you've spent reading the book. But anyway... Um, 
when that final bit of information is given, you get it. The mystery is no longer a mystery. It's open for all to see. And it's the second type of mystery that Paul's talking about here and in Colossians. The mystery is just a secret. It's something that isn't disclosed yet until it's revealed. And Paul has had a revelation. We'll kind of see some of these threads start to come together in a second. In verse 4 of Ephesians, chapter 3, he says, In reading this then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as it has been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. What is this mystery? Verse 6, The mystery is... Ready? That through the gospel, Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. The mystery is that the Gentile doesn't have to become a Jew to be saved. That's the news. The mystery is that the way that the Gentile would come in is the same way the Jew would come in, bringing together two new members into one body. Okay, what's this got to do with anything? Well, come back with me to Colossians chapter 1. And it's my hope now that kind of these background information will help us to understand and you'll go, oh, I see. And if you don't, tell me later and I'll just talk at you until you do, right? Or maybe you can just pretend that you've got it and, and move on and be like, okay, Rowan, I think you're crazy. Now have a look, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Paul says, Now I rejoice... In what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what's still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. What's lacking? Well, it wasn't his saving work, that's complete. What's lacking in the work of Christ is that he only went to Israel. Jesus only went to Israel. What's lacking is that in the history of God's purpose to save the world, the word of Christ hadn't yet gone to the Gentiles. And Paul was God's chosen instrument to do that. He was, in verse 27, have a look. Here's his purpose, to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Who is the you? The Gentiles. The Gentiles at Colossae that he's writing to. The mystery is that you, (laughs) non-Jews, you can actually have the hope of glory, which is Christ in you. The benefits of the creator of the universe dying and rising can be applied to you. This is news. If you hadn't heard that, this is amazing. That together, Jew and Gentile are one, one new body. I don't know how many of you here are Jews. How many of us, without this message of Paul, wouldn't have heard it? Well, as I think through this kind of nice bit of biblical history, kind of this tour throughout God's plans and purposes, I kind of go, yes, so what? (laughs) Like, so what? That's great. You know, I can see that it is big in some ways. It's for the Jew and Gentile, and that kind of covers the whole world. And it was just a little bit, and now it's everyone. But what's it got to do with me? How is this relevant? Well, I want to point out three things three things that I think are extraordinarily relevant. 
The first thing is this. This is a reminder that Christianity isn't about religion. It's not about religion. It's actually about leaving religion behind. It's about leaving Judaism behind and coming to Christ. It's about leaving their religious performances behind and realizing that everything's achieved in Jesus and, and in His performance. It's about forgetting the temple, the priests, the sacrifice, because it's everything in Christ. In Jesus, He achieves what I could never do. He's achieved it for you and for me and on my behalf so that I have His righteousness, His safe haven. It's about leaving Buddhism behind. It's about leaving Islam behind and Catholicism behind and Anglicanism and whatever other ism you kind of belong to, evangelicalism, whatever we think we are, you are, I am. It's, it's not about the isms. It's about leaving the isms behind and coming to Jesus, putting Him front and center, understanding and being so excited by the fact that everything has been achieved for you in Him. It's about Him. What is my purpose in life? It's about Jesus, not religion. The mystery of God, where all the fullness and richness of complete understanding is found in Him. Christianity is about Jesus. And that impacts me. The second thing that I think is important is the place of the Apostle Paul. Right? He's not Jesus. Okay, he's not sinless. He's not perfect. He isn't the Lord, but he's the Lord's right-hand man. He's the one that Jesus commissioned to finish his historical purposes, to bring the gospel where it was always intended to go, to the end of the nations, to the Gentiles, to you. And so Paul is the one who fills up what is lacking, taking the blessings of God, forgiveness, reconciliation, and applying it to us. Humanly speaking, the only reason you can be a Christian right here, right now, is the work of the Apostle Paul. Friends, you can't take or leave Paul. You kind of can't pick and choose the red letters and not the black ones. Because it's only through Paul and the other apostles, as they've taken this message to the world, that you and I can know Jesus. You can't take bits or pieces out of Paul as if Jesus was really Christianity and Paul was just the add-on. Paul is the window through which we see Jesus. Well, lastly, how is it relevant to me? So what? Well, I think understanding this history of God's unfolding purposes teaches us something. It teaches us that we're part of something big. It shows us what really is relevant. We at Uni Church, if you are a Christian, are part of a movement of history. Christianity is a plan of eternity, being worked out by God step by step according to His own secret purpose to bring the world, the whole planet, to Jesus. You know what one of the dangers in church life is? The danger in church life is that we can keep coming so focused on our own struggles and issues, so wanting church to be about helping us in our struggles and 
thinking through how I kind of want to get around being a better father or a better student or a better lover or a better whatever. That we redefine Christianity to be about me and my needs. We say, how is this relevant to me? I have a friend who's in another city, so not attacking churches around here. Uh, and his assessment of the churches around him is this. And whether it's true or not, well, you work out for us. But his assessment of the churches around him is that pretty much the preaching they hear week by week is virtue and values, with the Bible kind of appended on the end. It's virtue and values. It's the idea that Christianity will make me a better person, with better values. And here are the Bible verses to show you that. Now, is there anything wrong with virtue and values? No, not at all. God wants us to be virtuous and to act in the right way. But if Christianity kind of dissolves itself down to that, it means that Christianity, that Jesus, that God is no bigger than me and my issues, my virtues, my values. It's just, well, puny. Friends, God has a far, far bigger agenda. He's not actually about just merely helping you cope in your world. He's about rocking your world. He's about changing your world to see what He's really on about, lifting your eyes from the fog and the mist of the kind of issues we kind of have and and realize what's really going on. He He wants to lift you right out of here to help you see that He hasn't just come to deal with the things in your context. He's not just come down to help you wrestle with the ups and downs of life. He does that. Uh, He does that like a wise and powerful and loving father. But not only does does, does he do that, at the same time, he gives us this picture of a world that is far, far different. He wants you to have the same view of the universe as he does. He wants you to get his desires and passions. He's longing to see the world captivated by Christ. As I hear that, as I see what he's on about, as I see him's reordering of our priorities, I want in. I'm done with living for the kind of ups and downs of life. Really? Is that all there is? Now, I know it can be hard. I know it can hurt. I know it can be joyful. I'm not saying we should just forget it all. But is that all there is? In chapter 3 of Colossians, Paul says, you've been raised with Christ. So set your hearts and minds on the eternal things, on the heavenly things, on the things that will last forever. Snap out of it. Stop it. Stop living for the here and now and for the stuff that you are so kind of enthralled by. Stop it. It's such second-rate, boring mediocrity. And have a view of the world the way I see it, where everyone is entering eternity where decisions are being made that won't affect the next 10 years or 20 years or even one or two or three generations, but will affect forever. He wants to convert you out of a mundane grind of life into an awareness and an ownership and a partnership with His eternal purposes. He says, come, come join with me in showing the world the amazingness of Jesus.
Come and see life lived in right relationship with Him. Bring His glory to the ends of the earth. He wants you to rethink why you're even here. You are here so people might come to know Jesus and that God will be glorified in it. A good friend of mine is a missionary in Asia. Um, That's what he says to people. Uh, we're, We're in Asia, partly because he can't actually say publicly where he is. Um, if any of you are recording, and you feel free to record, but just, I'll say this hopefully in a way, don't, don't pass this round. He's in a part of Asia that's north of South Korea, if you understand what I mean. Now, this isn't really a nice place to be a missionary. Yet, he's taken his wife, who wants to go, and his children to this place that is hostile toward God and toward anyone who follows God. Why would you do that? He's a great guy. I'm like, what's wrong with you? Like, do you have a death wish? Like, what, 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 why would you do that? I said, aren't you scared about what will happen to you or your wife or your kids? This is what he said. There's something more important than life, in life than life and death. There's something more important in life than life and death. There's something more important about life than whether I live or die, that whether my children live or die. Now, you can only speak like that if you've seen what the Apostle Paul is showing us here, if you've been captivated by who Jesus is and what He's done, if you've seen God's view of the world. You can only speak like that if you've been lifted beyond the fog, the haze of the here and now, to the virtues and values type of Christianity. (laughs) And seeing the whole cosmos in the perspective of its creator. My friend genuinely rejoices at the opportunity he has to see people come to know Jesus in a place they would otherwise not. He sees it as joy. And that's what we long for you too here at Unichurch that you would see it a complete joy to see people come to know Jesus and grow in Him. That's why Paul in Colossians 1, 24 to 27 says, I rejoice in what was suffered. <laughs> How can you rejoice in suffering? Because you're a masochist? No. Because you see eternity in the view of the plans and purposes of God. You see how your life needs to be dominated by those plans. And I want to say, that's the life I want to live, isn't it? Life above the fog, above the clouds. Sure, it, it, it doesn't stay, but it reaches down to humanity and, and rips us out of our, of our sickness, of our brokenness, of our tiredness and gives us the hope of life. Not all now, some of that in the life to come. I want to live a life that doesn't pursue the hobbies and interests of life. Sure, they're great, they keep you going, they're good. I want to be captivated by Jesus. I want to see the world as God sees it and see what the prophets of old long to see, the mystery that's been hidden, that the whole world, every person you know, can have life that lasts forever. Don't you want to be captivated by Jesus? 
That's what I want. That's what we want here at Uni Church. So why don't we pray that God would do exactly that with us? Let's pray. Father God, tonight you have been so generous as to raise our eyes to what you see. To show us that your plans and purposes from all history are pointing to one man, Jesus, and that that Jesus is, is bringing a new humanity that we can now have life, that we can know you, that we can understand you and that we can experience you and the hope you give us for all eternity. Lord, we confess that so often we're captivated by everything but Jesus. So many things buzzing around and ideas and deadlines and responsibilities that we, well, we, we don't see you as we should. We don't see the amazingness of what you've done. Lord, we ask that you would lift our focus to your Son in such a way that we can speak into the world in a way that loves the world, that cares for each and every person, that shows them the reality of who you are and what you've done. Lord, we pray, use us. Use this church to see people captivated by you. And on that last day, standing perfect in your Son, so that we might spend an eternity with you, glorifying Jesus. Father, we want in. Amen.